Hello and welcome to Adam Analyzes. My name is Adam and I'll be your host. So apparently the world is still a strange place to us and we're all readjusting to everything. But hopefully you get a little bit of enjoyment out of my podcast and also hopefully I can take your mind off it. It kind of sucks to watch the news anymore. So either way, hopefully you're staying safe out there with whatever you're doing, whether you're quarantining, hopefully you are, but if you're not, you should be. But enough of all the virus that shall not be named talk, and well, let's get into the episode. So this one here is going to be covering two movies that are very different from each other, and it's just as a... I guess place to show you a versatility of a certain director and well let me get into that the director in question here is director Stuart Gordon on March 24th 2020 director Stuart Gordon of reanimator and a whole bunch of other different films uh, he directed the movie from beyond He also did the movie Castle Freak for Full Moon. He did direct a few Full Moon pictures, so he had a very good relationship with Charles Band, who, if you don't know, is the owner of Full Moon Pictures. And a lot of these are cult favorites, so it's actually sad to see a director that's beloved with making some of the best B-movies around that he passed away. So I wanted to use this as a little bit of a tribute I guess to a master and also just to show you how versatile he is as far as his direction I picked two movies here today and that is reanimator which is probably his best known work and then also the movie stuck which is not a very well-known work I don't hear a lot of people say about that film anymore and it's a shame because it's actually a pretty good Sometimes tough to watch, but uh, it's actually a really good movie. So first things first, let's get into Stuart Gordon's first film and probably my favorite out of all of his films, 1985's Reanimator. Based on the H.P. Lovecraft short story, Herbert West Reanimator, it tells the story of Dr. Herbert West who may have unlocked the power of reanimating dead things and I say dead things because you get a variety of different things that are reanimated it's mostly people but you do get to see a reanimated cat for example but there is more to the story here too there is also young medical student Dan Kane and then you also have him going out with the Dean's daughter who is Megan so there's a little bit of a romantic subplot as well with this movie there's quite a bit of things going on if you watch the integral version as opposed to the unrated version there's even a subplot with dr hill who i'll talk about a little bit later he also has a hypnosis subplot that was not in the unrated version even more strange is that there is no less than four different cuts of reanimator there is the tv version there is the r-rated cut there's the unrated cut which this movie was released to theaters as a unrated version if it was released nowadays or even back in the day if they had this rating it would have been an nc-17 
But there's also the integral cut, which was the one that I watched, and I know that a lot of people consider it blasphemous because it is not with any involvement with Stuart Gordon or producer Brian Usna. However, I do enjoy it because of the fact that it is the most complete version of the movie, even if some of the added scenes completely stop the pacing of the film. Even more impressive with Reanimator is the fact that it was made on a budget of only 900000 It wasn't even made for a million bucks, which granted, back in the day, that might have been quite a bit. But some of the gore effects that they were able to pull off here are very impressive. It made my girlfriend Nicole, made her wince a little bit. And I think that's a true testament to director Stuart Gordon and what he was able to pull off here. He was able to pull off a lot with just a little bit. Of course, the movie does hinge on the acting of main character Herbert West. And Jeffrey Combs as Herbert West is perfect. He's perfect because you know there's something off with this guy. He does things very coldly, very calculated, and it's interesting with how he seems like he is not a part of a regular society. Like, he really is an outcast. Even with some of his line delivery, it's with that awkwardness, and it's delivered with a little bit of humor and the way that he's able to actually deliver that with a very cold presentation it makes for a pretty humorous watch it's one of those career defining roles that obviously he would not be easily replaced if they were to make a reboot or remake or whatever you want to call it this is very much a role that's iconic similar to bruce campbell as ash or robert england as freddie where they're just simply not easily replaceable and very much iconic in the horror genre. I think acting across the board in this movie is very strong. Uh, Stuart Gordon definitely knew how to pull out decent performances that may have elevated the material a little bit higher than just a standard B movie. Yes, this is a B movie, very much in the vein of the tongue-in-cheek nature of, say, Evil Dead. However, the horror seems to be front and center, where the humor is subtle. It doesn't reach the slapsticky nature of, say, something Evil Dead 2, where it's very slapsticky and jokey, with the exception of the part with the cat. The cat does reach a little bit of that physical slapstick humor. However, it's done in a different way than what Sam Raimi approached his horror films. The acting from actress Barbara Crampton as Megan Halsey, I think she did a great job. And also Bruce Abbott as Dan Kane, he did a great job as well. They definitely sold the love story aspect of the story. And I can't imagine the roles being played by anybody else. I think director Stuart Gordon was able to pull out good performances from them and Again, it's a B-movie, but it's elevated a little bit higher than what your standard B-movie might be. And while we're talking about performances, let's talk about actor David Gale, who played Dr. Hill. Dr. Hill, definitely a creepy dude, definitely a pervert. He is pivotal in a very notorious scene from Reanimator that involves a oral sex gag with the head, which was mentioned in the movie American Beauty. 
I always thought that it was an odd inclusion in the film American Beauty to talk about the film Reanimator, but yes, this movie does have that very notorious scene in it, and I want to leave that vague just for the sake of not getting too graphic, and also, it needs to be seen to be believed. It's a pretty impressive scene on its own, and it's a pretty disturbing scene, and it's one of those things where it's just like, oh no, they're not going to go there, and yes, they definitely go there. I appreciate Stuart Gordon and producer Brian Usna that they uh, kept that scene in just because it's something that you will not see in any other film, and one of the great things about it is while the scene is a particularly nasty scene it goes and uh, helped the movie get a little bit notoriety to it reanimator did spawn two other sequels which are bride of reanimator and beyond reanimator sadly they're not in my opinion as good as Stuart gordon's original the two sequels were directed by producer brian usna if you've ever seen a Brian Usna film, such as Society or Return of the Living Dead Part 3, you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. Brian Usna is definitely not as good of a director as Stuart Gordon. However, he did mimic Stuart Gordon's direction pretty well in the second Reanimator film. I did hold out hopes that maybe Stuart Gordon would step back in, under the lens for a fourth Reanimator film. I always hoped that that would happen. However, with the death of Stuart Gordon, I think it's appropriate that we let the Reanimator series sit at three films. Even if it is awfully tempting to see Jeffrey Combs at the role one more time, I will state that throughout all three Reanimator films, the one that makes them worth watching is in fact Jeffrey Combs. But if you've never seen the first Reanimator film, know that you can watch it and not necessarily have to seek out the sequels. While they're fun in their own right, the first one is definitely where it's at. I think it's a near perfect blend of horror with a little bit of humor mixed in. And again, it's elevated a little bit higher thanks to a steady hand from Stuart Gordon which this was his first film and it's even more impressive because he came from a theater background and I think that might be why he was able to maybe pull better performances from his various actors throughout the movie and also maybe even including a little bit of a morals tale or a cautionistic approach to the life after death or reanimation of a corpse and various other dead things. The gore effects are certainly on point. The acting is definitely good in the film, and it's got a steady hand with its direction. It's also got an amazing score that rips off the psycho theme quite a bit, but we'll just call that a remix, right? So if you're in the mood for a good horror tale, definitely seek this one out. And I think that's probably enough about Reanimator. I may cover that one again a little bit and do a slight rundown for 31 Nights of Frights. I'm not sure if that's going to make the cut yet or not, the reanimator films. It might. But let's segue into a lesser known Stuart Gordon film. This one here is 2007's Stuck. Stuck tells the story of Thomas, who due to unforeseen circumstances, finds himself newly homeless. 
And then it also tells the story of Brandy, who is a nurse that is hoping to get a promotion at her hospice care facility. Brandy has a little bit too much to drink and a little bit too much ecstasy and winds up hitting Thomas during a late night drunken driving endeavor. Thomas is stuck through the windshield and still alive. And well, Brandy is more or less hoping for him to just simply die in her windshield. She drives home and is obviously bothered by it, but uh, she also does not seek help for poor Thomas. So this one here is a definite lesser known Stuart Gordon film. It's a later day Stuart Gordon film, and I believe he only directed a few things afterwards. So this one here would mark the end of his feature film direction career. Um, sadly, I, I'm assuming that he would probably have made another film if given the chance, but this was all the way back in 2007. But yes, I never hear the movie stuck. I never hear it talked about in, uh, in a lot of people's essential Stuart Gordon films. And I think that his last feature film, I think it's definitely an essential Stuart Gordon movie. It's another movie that has a great story and it also has some great performances across the board. This is another one that it's a B movie at its heart, but it's elevated by its acting. And of course that acting is by some really steady handed direction from a master director who definitely knows what he's doing when it comes to making a maybe low budget film. If you look at any of his other films such as uh, Castle Freak and whatnot, um, even from beyond, he definitely has a steady hand and he knows what he's setting out to do. He's a director that gets it done even when he may not have the budget to complete his entire vision, but you know that he's a steady handed director. And that's where Stuck, you definitely get that feeling here. It's a movie that has a great story to it. And even more crazy is the fact that this is based on a true story. I find it hard to believe that this actually happened, but while things were actually, you know, embellished and made for a movie, there's a lot of the story that is exactly the same as what had actually happened. And it blows my mind that it's a true story or at the very least inspired by actual events. This one here has all the markings of a Stuart Gordon film. There is some particularly nasty blood and gore effects here on display. And actor Stephen Ray, while I can't recall many films that I've seen him in, if you look at his filmography, he was apparently in B for Vendetta, and I believe Interview with the Vampire. I can't recall it because I haven't seen those movies in quite a, quite a while. But he, uh, he really sells the role. Um, you really get the fact that he is in pain and the way that they show his struggle to get out of the windshield and get himself to safety and help. It's a very, very well-deserved uh, job well done. And not only that, he allows you to feel sympathetic for him too because you get the feeling that he's just somebody that's down on his luck. And when he doesn't think that things could get any worse, they definitely do because of the being hit by a, hit by a car and stuck in a windshield. I would imagine that would be pretty awful for anybody. I will say that the actual crash and hit scene 
is a pretty tough one, especially when you see uh, his bones break. And not only that, that crack. It's a very well directed scene from Stuart Gordon. And it definitely has that impact. It's one of those things that you don't really forget. And remember when I said that this one has some pretty realistic blood and gore? The scene where the windshield wiper is actually stuck in his gut is a pretty tough scene to watch. I've seen it before and it doesn't really bother me, but it is one of those scenes that when you do see it, it's another scene that will definitely stick with you after you finish watching this movie. The only thing that I don't really like about this movie is the fact that Brandy, played by Mina Savari, that you're almost given a sympathetic, I guess, insight to her and her mindset. She's gunning for a promotion at work, and you understand why she wouldn't take him to the hospital because she was driving drunk and also high on ecstasy. However, I don't like the fact that it makes her into a sympathetic character in a way. She's pretty awful in a lot of respects, and if you read the actual story as far as what happened, the person that actually hit the the guy in real life, she was bragging about it and laughing about it, and many months later was tried and charged with murder and got 50 years in jail. And I don't think the character itself deserved to have it as like a moral's tale, but knowing that director Stuart Gordon, knowing that he came from that theater background and he seemed to like moral tales, I can see why he went that route, even though I don't know if it was the right way to carry the story forward. I think Brandy, with the way the story ends up, I think her character, I think she deserves everything she had coming to her. She kept telling Thomas that she was going to get help for him, but yet she never does. And it's a pretty awful thing that she needs to suck it up and pay for her crime, but she's too blinded by, oh, but I want to get my promotion at work and this is going to destroy my life. Well, you destroyed somebody else's life in the process. Thankfully, she does get a pretty good ending to her character and you're definitely rooting for Thomas by the end of the film. You do have Brandy's drug dealer boyfriend who uh, is cheating on her and stuff, so there's a whole other subplot and whatnot. And he gets what he has coming to him as well. So as far as taking the actual stuck story as a morals tale, I think it's probably good that it is. So, you know, you don't do the right thing and you're going to pay the pay the price. And then we do have that character that is down on his luck and seemingly gets away and will have a better life we're assuming after this horrible thing that he went through. The character of Thomas seems to always make the right decision as far as after he's stuck in the windshield. He goes and he has the opportunity to shoot and kill Brandy with a gun, but he doesn't do it. Instead, he does the, what he thinks would be the morally right thing to do and say, just let me go you know, stay away from me, and yet she still shoves him, knocks him over, steals the gun from him. Even when he's about to get away for about the third time in the movie, she's going to shoot him. I mean, it's ridiculous. She has no reason at this point to want to kill him, but yet she still wants to. But if you've never seen the movie Stuck, I definitely recommend it. It's a good, 
I guess, capper to Stuart Gordon's career. And I say that it's a capper to his career. It's not exactly that he stopped doing anything. It's just that he never made another movie after that. Apparently, he did have his love for theater because that's where he got his start. And he still proceeded to do theater work. And one of the things that he did do afterwards was a direction of a theater production that starred Jeffrey Combs. And Jeffrey Combs was doing a one-man show as Edgar Allan Poe, which is pretty cool in its own right. So at least Stuart Gordon's career started and ended with theater, and I think that's more than appropriate. I definitely say seek out some of his other films. You may like them, you may not, but what you will get from them is that they are from a very assured director who definitely knows what he was doing when he was making a film. Whether you like some of his films or whether you despise them, I don't think you'll come away saying, you know what, that movie was awful due to the direction and whatnot. No, it may be awful because of the story or maybe a budgetary limitation, but it's definitely not from his direction. And, well, he died at the age of 72, and he will definitely be missed. One last thing, you may be wondering why I decided to go with Reanimator and Stuck. It may have been a better team up to do Reanimator with the movie From Beyond, which was also based off of a HP Lovecraft story. Well, no, I decided to go with the first and last films that he made. And also I could have my own Joe Bob Briggs type of moment where I connect things that you wouldn't think would be connected. But Reanimator and the movie Stuck are definitely connected, and they're connected by the movie American Beauty and actress Mina Savari. In the film American Beauty, Kevin Spacey starts talking about the movie Reanimator when he's high with uh, the, the high school kid, the, the weirdo that thinks everything's beautiful and is filming, you know, blowing leaves. Uh, so there is a conversation about Reanimator and the oral sex with the decapitated head. And, uh, well, you also have actress Mina Savari, who played the object of Kevin Spacey's obsession in American Beauty. So they are all loosely connected by mentions, actress, and directors. So not only that, it was the beginning and end of his feature film career, director Stuart Gordon. So I thought it made a pretty good bookend to his career and also a fitting tribute. Hopefully this inspires you to check out some of Stuart Gordon's films and hopefully you'll like them as much as what I do. But with that being said, I think I'm going to close out this episode. As a reminder, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam underscore analyzes. Also, check out some past episodes at adamanalyzes.com. For those of you who do not know, we also have a weekly podcast, In Our Honest Opinion, that I do with Marvin and Will. Marvin also has his own podcast, Buddy Talks, which premieres on Wednesdays. In Our Honest Opinion appears on Thursdays. As you know, my show appears on Fridays. So that is our very own WTF block. Yeah. Definitely check out our other stuff if you're enjoying this podcast. And also, please leave me a review at the podcast listening platform of your choosing. It will allow me to continue to create new podcasts for you guys and hopefully get a little bit uh, 
higher on the totem pole as far as podcast recommendations for people. And also, just simply, I love those digital hugs. But with that being said, Stuart Gordon, this one's for you. And good night. And also, if you're not in quarantine, why not? (laughs) Good night.